Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about Christians and the kingdom of God. People are always saying, well, is he a Christian? Or, yes, I'm a Christian. Or they have surveys and say, uh, so many people uh, per capita are Christians or professing Christians. And it's a lot easier to be a professing Christian than it is to be a Christian, in my opinion. There's a lot of people going around saying they're Christians. There's thousands of denominations of Christianity and there's millions upon millions upon millions of people claiming to be Christians. But the world's in quite a mess. And I don't think it would be in the mess it was in if they were really Christians. When I hear people say that they're a Christian or... Uh, I think of Anigo Menchoya. Uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, Christian, by definition, should be someone who is following Christ. Who believes in Christ. If you believe in Christ, you would follow Christ. And I don't think a lot of the people who think they're Christians really know Christ. They say they've accepted Christ, but they don't really know Christ. They don't really know what he was all about. Oh, they have some memorized or uh, repetitious phrase they use, or Christ is the Son of God, he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, etc., etc. But that doesn't really know who he is. Like the story I tell often of my son who I gave him several books to read on George Washington when he was pretty little, about eight. And uh, they were just little little books. And and I realized when he gave his book report, oral book report, on George Washington, he didn't really know who he was. I mean, the fact that he was married to Martha doesn't tell you who he was. The fact that he was a general at one time doesn't tell you who he was. The fact that he was the President of the United States, whether you think he was the first or the seventh, is irrelevant. That doesn't tell you who he is. Not really who he is. I mean, knowing somebody's name, George Washington, doesn't tell you who he is. It's just a nomenclature, label that you put on him. It may be who... You know, it may be a way in which you identify him, but it really doesn't tell you who he is. Uh, th- there's a lot of stuff in the news recently about national ID. Of course, you have to have government ID in order to fly on planes. And ID means identification. Uh, it's the way in which you tell who you are to satisfy someone at TSA. So that you can get on an airplane or satisfy a police officer who stops you on the street. But that doesn't really tell who you are except for the fact that it is evidence of who you are. But it's not conclusive. It really doesn't tell about you as a person, as an individual, except for the fact that you went somewhere and got one of those government IDs. So who are you? Who is Christ? Would Christ go get a government ID? 
Christ said his kingdom was not of this world, and we know that that word world means constitutional order or system government. So his kingdom was not of this world when he was talking to Pontius Pilate, not of Pontius Pilate's world, constitutional order or system of government. So he probably would not have gone and got an ID from Pontius Pilate if Pontius Pilate was handing out IDs. And actually, they were. (laughs) A lot of people don't realize there was a very, very effective, significant ID system operating in the Roman Empire. And Judea itself had an ID system. It was a Hebrew name that was registered with the scribes that you got when you got baptized by the ministers of the government building they called the temple at Jerusalem. And the reason you got that ID stone was to, it was a little stone with that name carved on it. And Hebrew letters have a numerical value to them. And so literally that had your number on it, on that stone. And you used that stone to identify yourself. It was a white stone that they often got out of the Jordan River and they'd carve this, you know, maybe three-letter or four-letter name on it. And then you would identify yourself as as so-and-so of such-and-such a place. And you would be written down in a book. And they would know who you are. And you could obtain benefits through the temple treasury, which is sometimes referred to as the gastaphone, but also referred to as the Corbin in the Bible. They, they don't, when you translate it, the Hebrew word was Corbin, which is from the, uh, actually in the, in the Greek text you see the word Corbin, which is from the Hebrew word Corbin, but it's translated treasury in one place in the Bible, in another place they just put in the word Corbin, and nobody seems to know what that means, but Christians didn't have access to that Corbin anymore. And they tell us that in John. And any real scholar of biblical studies should know this and pass this on. But it's not politically correct. It's not religiously correct. They don't, in the politics of religion, it's not correct to tell you what Corbin was. Corbin was your sacrifice given to a network of ministers that they used to call Levites to take care of the social welfare of Israel so that the people would be bound by faith, hope, and charity. Christians went back to that system of free will offerings to take care of the needy of their selves, their, their, their society. They call that charity. They call that the Eucharist of Christ, Thanksgiving. To take care, they call it pure religion. James calls it pure religion. How you take care of the needy of your society. This is what Christians were doing. And the Christians did not go to Herod. They did not go to Agrippa. They did not go to Caesar and say, we're hungry. We, we need help. We need food. And we want you to give us some because we hear that you're a benefactor, that you call yourself a benefactor. And if you went to Herod's temple, 
before you got that benefit, you'd have to pull out that white stone. Now, if you'd lost it, I'm sure there was a way in which they would just go to the scribes, who were the accountants, that's what it means, the registers, and they would see if you were registered. And if you were eligible for the benefits you were asking for, the free bread, the the reward, as it says sometimes in the Bible, that you were asking for. And they had a whole system. And they had an ID system to make sure you were who you say you are. And it was a government of the people by the bureaucrats for sometimes the people and sometimes the bureaucrats. You know, it was interesting that years ago I was studying the archaeology of Israel and Jerusalem. I was always fascinated with uh, uh, anthropology and archaeology and geology. It's a way in which the imprint of history is left for us to go and read. And many people go and read them, but they uh, some people don't. Uh, like again, it comes back into what is politically correct amongst uh, archaeologists. Certain things, you know, you find, archaeologists find evidence of things all the time that are not taught in colleges, and you don't want to bring that evidence up. It's pointing to the fact that societies have not been progressively getting more and more sophisticated. They've actually gotten sophisticated and went downhill, and they went up again and went downhill. And we don't want that. We want to see a progressive evolution of society. And so the idea that there was once a more prosperous more uh, a better educated, a better, more sophisticated society, a more successful society, and it degenerated into something else, is not what archaeologists want to hear. They want to hear a general progression. We're smarter than our ancestors. And so you get the idea that everybody back in the days of Romans were walking around in loincloths and sandals and... Uh, Now, they did some interesting things. They did unbelievable things. Amazing the accomplishments. You know, the idea of boats the size of Noah's Ark. They built lots of them. Huge, giant things. Thousands of passengers. Hundreds of years before Christ. Carrying tons and tons and tons of cargo. Plying across the Mediterranean during this seeking error and afterwards. Boats you see in many of the movies that are supposed to be, you know, the Roman boats, everything, they're actually not nearly the sophistication that Rome had once enjoyed in its seafaring days. Whole armies would be on one boat, gigantic things, flying through the sea. Now, they didn't have... Blu-ray VCRs and uh, or DVDs, uh, so that they had they lacked certain technology, but they did some things that we have yet to match. I mean, how they build the pyramids? That is a hot debate. How did uh, how, you know some of the steels they came up with, and and some of the other things that they came up were uh, with low technology were amazing. The craftsmen were amazing. But we don't really, we don't want to know about that. Some people do study that now and they find it very amazing. I mean, they find complex clockworks 
at the bottom of the sea that were dropped there thousands of years ago and crusted. And uh, these were so complex, they were actually monitoring the rotation of the planets, they believe. And uh, it was made centuries and centuries and centuries ago, and nobody understands who made it. They used to keep secret a lot of the knowledge that they were discovering because they understood that knowledge was power. But anyway, back to Jesus in Christianity and what Christianity really was. One way of determining what something was is to determine what it is not. And you'll hear me in many of the other recordings, in our string theory recordings, uh, we talk about uh, spiritual DNA. Everything in the physical realm has a corresponding spiritual existence. And the spiritual realm, from our point of view, is the first realm. It is the primary realm. It is the controlling realm. It is, it is the heart, uh, the horse before the cart. It is what is dragging our physical realm into existence and, and manifesting our physical realm is what goes on in the spiritual realm. And so since there's physical DNA and we have people manipulating that physical DNA, I would have to believe that there is a spiritual DNA. There is something in the spiritual realm that would represent the same process that we see in, in physical DNA. And when people marry and they know each other, as it says in the Bible, Adam knew Eve, they produced a child. They mixed their DNA. And they produced a child. Is there a spiritual mixing of DNA? Spiritual DNA? Yes, there is. That you're affected. I mean, how many people say, you know, how husbands and wives begin to look alike after years of living together? And as if we're molded by the presence of one another in our in our day-to-day life. Well, we are. We're molded by our associations, by our incorporations. We write a great deal about, you know, the church, the unincorporated church. And the, actually, the church is incorporated. The church established by Jesus Christ is incorporated. It's incorporated with Christ. A corporation is two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority. And the church is gathered together under the authority of Christ. If you go and incorporate under another authority, then all other previous incorporations, such as with Christ, is null and void. That's the law. And we talk about that, and we talk about it in legal terms, but we're actually pointing to a spiritual reality. That when you mix your church with the world, the constitutional orders and systems of governments created by the hand of man, you're going to change the spiritual DNA of the outcome of your communion within that church. You're going to be changed by that association, by that relationship, you're going to be altered. Your mind is going to be altered, and your body is going to be altered. Your soul is going to be altered by that relationship. And you will begin to conform to that DNA, which is not the DNA of God. 
It's the DNA of those men who created those institutions. So, we see on the news today, Obamacare is coming in 2014. Uh, maybe already here if you're listening to this recording much later. But the reality is the spiritual changes that are bringing about these things has already taken place. Now you're seeing the physical manifestation. And when Adam knew his wife, he still had to wait nine months before they saw the kid. But he was already on his way. The, the, the copulation, the connection of the DNA, the change, you know, already took place. When my wife had children, many times we knew the next day that she was pregnant. There was a change instantly. But we couldn't see the kid for nine months. And what that kid will become may take 18 years or 80 years. Who knows? The process began back there. Years before, when the DNA was connected. And the same with the spiritual things. Spiritual choices you make are setting in motion a series of events outside of your control. You no longer have authority over them. You've already made a choice over here. And now you're given over to a process. It talks in the Bible about given over to a reprobate mind. That's because you make a choice and you're given over to that reprobate mind. You become something other than what nature would have made you. The nature of God. The God of nature. And You've altered something. And you are altered by it. And also in the news we see uh, uh, where Americans, because of this Obamacare, who file income tax returns must complete an additional IRS tax form. And this new form will require disclosure of taxpayers' personal identifying health information in order to ter- determine comple- uh, compliance with the Affordable Care Act individual mandates. Now, a lot of people don't realize, they haven't read the fine print. I mean, they passed it without even reading the thing. There's a thing called DNAR. And I thought it was funny that the initials become DNAR. And what that stands for is not DNA. (laughs) Or DNA resources, which you might think... It stands for do not attempt to resuscitate. And there are do not attempt resuscitation rules, regulations, administrative rules, and laws already coming down from House committees in different states as well as it's wallowing around in the capital of the United States. And I'm sure... In other countries that have had this, that already exists, and there, and I know that is, you know, there's they talk about it as being a real problem in some of the other longer-term socialist nations. That it's called euthanasia, and there are many people today that are getting medical assistance that will be denied that medical assistance, not based upon their personal choice, not based upon the choice of someone they have given the medical power of attorney to, such as a family member, a loved one, who loves them and wants to see them live. But it's given over to 
the medical society, to the hospital, to doctors, to government agents who are going to control the purse strings of your health insurance, which is funded by your Corbin. Again, go back to that word Corbin. The Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. The Word of God is the vibration of God, the frequency of God, the DNA of God. It is the way in which God expresses His DNA. When Christ walked up to the apostles and breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, what He was imparting to them is the spiritual DNA. The same as God breathed on Adam and altered his DNA to fit a particular pattern. He set something in motion with his breath, with his spirit, by touching the spiritual DNA of Adam and therefore altering Adam himself and giving him a life that he did not have before. There was a change, a moment in change, and then that proceeded through this physical realm. But it wasn't until Cain that they began to create these worlds that we see. Again, remember there are five different words translated into world in the Greek text. One of those means constitutional order and system of government that did not exist on this planet until Cain created his first city-state. Out of the presence of God. Not according to the DNA, spiritual DNA of God, but according to the desires of Cain. And we see it again in Lamech and in Nimrod and in the evil Pharaoh and in many of the Caesars. This change that's taking place. And how do Caesars operate? How do they have power? How do they, how can they be benefactors? Because they got lots of money? Well, in the case of Augustus, he did have lots of money, but he got most of his money because he conquered a bunch of other rich guys. <laughs> and he took their households and their property, and, and he was the richest man in all of, uh, all of the Roman Empire. And then he began to give that away. And by votes with that philanthropy, he gave away half of the free bread in Rome, which included uh, acres of grain storage silos. I think over 16 acres of grain storage silos in one location alone to feed millions upon millions of people, which devastated the agriculture in Rome because it drove down the price of grain locally, so why grow it? But anyway, that's another part of the problem. We're looking at how are we changed? How are we altered as Christians? If we are really Christians following the spiritual DNA of Christ, the way of Christ, the path of Christ, the straight way, the narrow way, then we would be altered by following that path. We would be changed. And by changing our direction... Repenting, turning around, that's what it means. We would be moving now according to a new path, a new way, a new spiritual DNA, and we would be changed by it. 
Today we are racked with disease problems in the world. And many of those diseases have to do with the identity. Your autoimmune diseases, cancer, all have to do with identity. A confusion in the DNA. Because there's a confusion in the spiritual DNA of mankind. And we're going to see if we can't clear up some of that confusion as we examine the Word of God with a new light and a new idea when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about spiritual DNA. We're talking about Christians. And we're talking about what Christians are. And we're talking about what Christians are not. And there seems to be a lot of confusion as to what they are not, as well as to what they are. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. I've had people who are actually ministers and people who think they're believers tell me that Paul changed the gospel of Christ because the, uh, the, the, the apostles were not doing it right. They were already straying. But, of course, they think they aren't straying. <laughs> but the reality is they have strayed. They don't know what the apostles were doing. The apostles and Paul were talking about the same thing. Peter even says talks about Paul, my uh, our brother, who is going to talk to you about difficult things to understand. And evidently, they were too difficult for these modern Christians to get and fathom. And there, there are many people trying to, because of what they think Paul said, because of a simple misunderstanding, partially because they didn't understand the gospel of Christ to begin with, they think Paul is contradicting Christ contradicting the apostles even. And actually, they're all in agreement. And they're even in agreement with Moses. Someone was just talking about somebody who was raised a Pharisee Jew, who I think he's uh, uh, Michael Rood's friend, uh, and not a believer in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but he has a great respect for Jesus Christ. Because when he actually went to study and, and tried to help out Michael Rood with some of the things, I think it was Michael Rood anyway, uh, that the, uh, some of the interpretation of some of the Hebrew scripts, that he realized that Jesus was not contradicting Moses, that he was in agreement with him. He was contradicting the Pharisees, and this fellow was raised and taught a Pharisee, but has become... Uh, another kind of Jew, uh, is it Karak Jews? Uh, if I'm getting that right, I really don't want to get into it in too much detail because it's been a while since I've looked at some of his material and I won't do it justice, but you can probably look the guy up. But the reality is, Jesus and Moses were in agreement. We should know that from the biblical text in the New Testament. I mean, they're seen together talking. They're in agreement. They they were not in disagreement. Jesus is quoting Moses often. When he said, love thy neighbor, he's quoting Moses. For God's sakes, pay attention. Jesus and, and Moses and the early Israel were in agreement. And the early Christians were doing exactly what the early 
Israelites were supposed to be doing. They weren't doing what they did later, like electing a king, choosing to have a king, except for the fact that they elected Christ, who was the king who would not exercise authority one over the other, but would return every man to his position, every man to his family, so that every man would become the government of God, the kingdom of God, through faith, hope, and charity, which is the way it was intended to be from the beginning. Way back, I mean the, the, the beginning. And we equate that with Abel, who was a shepherd. But Cain, who plowed the Adama. The the ground. They actually use the word Adama. There's a difference. And in us is this desire to plow the Adama. To turn and force and put things right in a row. To exercise authority. To make things right. That's not according to the spiritual DNA of God. The spiritual DNA of God lives in us. Becomes a part of us if we don't turn away from it. It's like light shining and making things clear. But there's another world that goes out of the presence of the God and tries to force and control and compel and plow and create rows of things. And we see that in the evidence. I mean, when you see the armies of the Nazi Germany marching or or, or the Soviet Union or any government, well, they got all the men marching in a row in a line and step together, walking to the beat of the drum of the authority who is exercising control over their lives. Those people have all changed and been changed by their conformity to that central authority. And the central authority has changed because it is given power and power corrupts. It actually gets drunk on the power. And when these systems get real big, we call them beasts. You know, bears and lions in prophecy. That's what the way they represent these governments. And we talk about the mark of the beast. But the mark of the beast is the character of the beast. It will have a physical symbol in the world. But the reality is is that, that you have picked up a beast identity and then drawn into the beast system because you're compatible with it. You have decided it's okay to exercise authority over your neighbor, to rule over your neighbor, even if it requires bludgeoning your neighbor. And recently in the news we see that somebody thought it was perfectly acceptable to sick the IRS on Tea Party members. There were already accusations many months, years even before. The former school chum of Obama who was talking about Obama suddenly became the target of the IRS. After 30 years, suddenly now he's under heavy scrutiny by the IRS. How did that happen? Because he was critical of Obama? Now, I don't want to pick on Obama. He is the product of your sloth. 
He he has been created. His office has been created by the fact that you already long time ago, long time ago, your fathers and your fathers before them have turned away from the ways of God and have not followed Christ or the ways of Christ or the ways of Moses if you're a Jew or if you're a Muslim. You haven't been following what Moses said. You have been following teachers who twist words upside down and with that turn you upside down and make you not a government of God but a government of men who become gods of you and rule over your mind because you thought it was okay to force your neighbor to think a certain way. And some people were thinking different than what these powerful people wanted them to think and so they sick the dogs on them. That now stories are coming out that Billy Graham was targeted by the IRS. Dobson was just in a story before the uh, the radio was singled out. His institution of you know family focus on the family was singled out by the authorities' minions by their their orcs and goblins who go about terrorizing this is this is really the definition of terrorism is that where you're you're using abusing governmental power to create fear in the people you know there was there were videos put out not uh, during one of the elections i guess it was the previous election where they were showing speeches by all the candidates and they were just going through one candidate after another and each one was saying terrorism, 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 terrorism. Everybody kept repeating that word. Protect us from terrorism, terrorism. Terrorism is a great threat. But it is those very people that are the terrorists. They're terrorizing you with fear. They're driving you with fear. It is the DNA of fear, the spiritual DNA of fear that is is getting into you and infesting you. That was one of the things when I, I remember when the Twin Towers fell down, whatever caused them to fall down, and you see them collapsing. It was probably just, you know, you see these monumental buildings up there and then suddenly they're crumbling into dust, falling into their own footprints. All the way to the ground, every eye beam slit and cut. You know, not not the pancake effect where the I-beams would still be standing, but everything. Not not just twisted, gnarled pretzels, but cut beams bent under the weight of the 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 everything falling in and uh, upon it. Bizarre. But when people saw that monument disappearing, you saw in the newsreels the people on the streets, the fear, the terror. That's altering them. That's altering their minds. But they were susceptible to being altered. Because they were already altered. They were already pulled over into another creation. Another form of reality. They were drawn to that other form of reality. And those of you, you should all go back and listen to my my talks on string theory. Which you can find in our different archives. 
we live in two realities here. Actually, multiple realities. String theory allows for multiple realities. Overlapping dimensions. But your spiritual reality actually can can transcend those different dimensions. Can touch those different realms. And be drawn one to the other. And behind some of those realms, the veil, behind one is heaven, behind the other is hell. And you are drawn towards one or the other. And it is the spiritual DNA of Christ, the spiritual DNA of God that is should be drawing you. But it's not. It's another pattern, another path. Yet many of the people who are being drawn towards the path of evil believe that they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe they are saved. They believe that they are following the ways of Christ. Love God with thy whole heart, mind, and soul. Your whole being. The love of your neighbor as yourself. But he goes on to say, But I would say, love your neighbor as God loves. Purely, not out of fear, envy, jealousy, greed, vanity, lust, sloth, covetous, etc. But love. The character of love of God. You know, we've talked about love. You know, my cat loves birds but not with the love of God, the love of Satan, because he wants to devour the birds. He wants to dominate the birds. He wants to control the birds. He catches a mouse. He loves mice too. He, He will catch that mouse, and he'll let it go. And he'll catch it again. And he'll let it go, and he'll catch it again. He loves to catch it. But that's not the love of God. That's the love of a cat for a mouse. That's the love of Satan. He loves to control Do you love to control? When you go to vote, do you go to vote to control your neighbor? I know some of you go to vote just to protect yourselves. You think, I have to vote because nothing else will stop them. I have to make it right. I have to fix this. I have to... We argue with people to try to convince them because we think it's important that they do what is right. And it is important. But it isn't important that you convince them. Now, you may have to tell them something, and and maybe you should. But are you led by the Holy Spirit, or are you led by your own desire to plow the hearts of your neighbor? You see, there's a line here. There's a direction here. And we need to go the other way. Recently, I told the story of a, a local shepherdess helping out here watching the sheep while we were trying to get other things done. And they were they're they're beginning to realize that the sheep have a way of drawing your own impatience to the surface. And it's a great learning tool, which is why it was so important that David be a shepherd before he became a king. <laughs> because the good king is a good shepherd. Because sheep don't do well if you push them. If you force them. This is why Abel was a shepherd. He did not did not force his flock. He didn't hire, you know, twenty border collies, which we refer to as black and white units, to keep his flock on the straight and narrow. And and you'll see in mountainous countries a lot of flocks where they have to go down narrow paths, the sheep will line out in a single line following that path, going from one graze to the other. 
and you know that's that's what the valley of the shadow of death it, that's actually a real valley and there's narrow paths that go through that and so the sheep have to follow those narrow paths and the good shepherd guides them on those paths but the sheep follow tail to nose to nose to tail to tail to nose all the way down in single file as they go through some of these narrow passages the interesting thing is in a whole herd of a hundred or even a thousand sheep they follow down that path almost in the same order every time a lot of people don't know that you could put you know, as they go down that path, if you could paint a number on them, one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way down, you will find that they are very similar. Those numbers are very similar in order every time you go down that path. They have a social structure that most people, it's invisible to people. It actually corresponds to the same period that they show in birth. The first ones born are the leaders. And that's because their mothers are the ones who come into heat first and are bred first. Nature is very orderly. It's, it's, it's fractal networking. It's, it's orderly but in, in complex ways. If you begin to follow in the ways of Cain, and want to exercise authority, want to compel others, you're going to change and be changed. You're not following the path. You don't really believe in Jesus as much as you need to believe in Jesus. And we are constantly being tempted. Part of us is in that realm that is headed towards destruction. To Satan, to the realms of hell, the lower realms of dog-eat-dog. And that's why I say, you know, they sick the dogs on them. Because they got lots of dogs. Because it's a kingdom of dogs. And the dog returns to his vomit. And the dogs return to his ways. Sacrifice of one's being for the benefit and well-being of others is a part of the DNA of Christ. Didn't he sacrifice himself for others? Didn't he come to serve others? In dealing with relationships one with the other, I often refer to the fact that we need to be willing to be crucified. Those who argue against us, those who fight against us, we have to let them do it. We don't fight against them. There's a Chinese art of fighting, a kaido, and it's actually become more and more distorted in, in modern uh, American thinking. But it's, it's, you do not use, you do not resist their power. You allow them the right to use their power against you in such a way that their power now becomes your power. Most people can't understand this. They, they, they think it's leverage and, and, you know, blocking and all that stuff. But it's actually a spiritual thing first. If you get the spiritual thing down, you will have the other automatically. You will be where you need to be. I had two people tried to grab me at the same time and both were instantaneously thwarted. And I planned nothing. I I thought of nothing. But both of them were almost incapacitated a few seconds later. Almost within the first second or two. Um, 
it, it was a friendly thing, but it was still this, there was, I could see there was aggression in the argument, so I said, you know, go ahead. And, uh, even though we were friends, we weren't really fighting, but there, because of the fact I often touch on subjects that get close to home and kind of pinch the heart, <laughs> uh, people would like to hit me, <laughs> even though we're friends. Uh, but, uh, it's it's there they have no power against you it's like you're in another realm and they're over here in this dimension and they're trying to hit you in in the dimension you live in but you're not in their dimension so they can't actually hit you you know and i've actually had this where guys did want to hit me and were angry with me and the same thing happened they couldn't do it now, I'm not saying that it won't happen because it isn't my power that stops them. This is what Christ was saying when he went, you don't have any power to crucify me unless it was given you. But this is where I'm supposed to go is what he was saying. We know that from his prayers the night before. He didn't want to do this, but God wanted him to do this to show us what? The key to life is to give up life. Christians want a, modern Christians want a philosophy where they're just saved. They don't have to give up anything. They can actually go to men who call themselves benefactors and pray for their daily bread from them and still claim to be a Christian even though Christ said not to be that way. They just completely don't see that. They just gloss over it. You can show them right in the biblical text and they just, their minds just go blank. A veil is over them. They can't see it. They're in another realm. But they say they're Christians. They keep using that word. But it does not mean what they think it means. They have gone the wrong way. They've gone the wrong path. We're supposed to repent and do His commandments and receive His eternal life. Because He said, if you want eternal life, you have to keep the commandments. You can't keep the commandments. But if you have the spiritual DNA of Christ written in your heart and in your mind, you can't hardly break the commandments. And even if you do, God will be forgiven because he knows you're on your way back like the prodigal son. He will keep coming out and meeting you and he will protect you. Someone asked, what programs are we talking about when we were talking about Get with the program. Somebody wrote, get with the program. And I talked about this before. And he and he goes on to say, I am a disciple of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only program I know. I'm not sure that everybody who thinks they know that program knows that program. Program is, is the modern term for path. That way. That's what Christianity was called, the way. And, and this individual was worried about the fact that, you know, the President of the United States is supposedly a, a Muslim. And does it really make a difference? If you're in that realm, if you dwell in that realm and of that realm, it does. If you're in the realm of Christ, it doesn't. It's an interesting fact, interesting piece of information. But it has no effect on what you do. If somebody you know and love doesn't see something you see and you want them to see it, 
How will you get them to see it? By logic? By explanation? By repetition? Or by prayer? What is prayer? Immersing yourself in the will of God and not your will for your neighbor. You have to guard against plowing your neighbor's heart. You need to guard against plowing your neighbor's heart. It is the great temptation to exercise authority over your neighbor's heart. You communicate the way of God, the Spirit of God, more by immersing yourself in that Spirit, in that forgiveness, in that patience, than by any other means. Just allowing the Holy Spirit to rule and go out and reach out and touch your neighbor, just seeing, will have a greater effect than anything you can say. Breathe in their mistake. Breathe out the heart of God. And you will pass the DNA of Christ on to others and drive the enemy away with your love. We'll see you again. And keys of the kingdom. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God and what it means to be a Christian. Many of you have read uh, the book, uh, Higher Liberty. If you haven't, it's free online at hisholychurch.org. And you can go there and download it. Uh, you can get a copy if you want from us, or you can print your own out. And uh, in it, we talk about a word, excusia. And uh, that's a Greek word that's translated into power, sometimes translated into authority, sometimes translated into the word right in the Bible. It's also translated in the Bible into the word liberty. If you go back to Greek texts of the time, including Koine Greek, you will find that it is the strongest word in the Greek language for liberty. It actually is defined in the concordance as the right to choose. 
But somehow or other, people in modern interpretation have come to the idea that excusia means government. It means the power of government to choose for you what you're going to do, what you're going to give, what you're going to be able to keep, what you're not going to be able to keep, everything. And the governments of the world have their dogs that they sick on you if you're not doing what they want you to do. If you're one of theirs. And you become one of theirs through making covenants with them. And you make all kinds of covenants. People talk about secret contracts. They're not secret. You're just ignorant. They're very open about them. They explain how they work. You just haven't learned that. They don't want to explain how... It works to you. I mean, you know, it's if you're in prison and there's a combination lock to your door, they're not going to teach you the combination. <laughs> they're just, it's not part of what they want to teach you. But it's there. The information is there. But anyway, this word excusia, it comes in another form. Auto excusia. Excusia. Auto excusia. You know what that translates into? Self-determination. People are trying to find self-determination. Ways of self-determination. That's what, you know, this, what, that's what made this country great, is there was a great deal of room for self-determination. You could own your own land. You could own your labor. You could own your right to choose. You could own your liberty. It was your right. It was, And it was proclaimed that God gave you that right. And that's true. All your rights came from God. Rights come from God. Your right to choose came from God. Eat of this tree. Eat of any other tree. If you eat of this tree, you will die. If you eat of all the other trees, including the tree of life, you will live. And somebody decided... I'm going to eat of the tree of knowledge. I'm going to decide for myself. Self-determination without God is death. Auto-excusio without the God of heaven, the creator, the tree of life, the Holy Spirit, is death. Christianity, the followers of Christ, are to choose life. That's what they're that is what the pathway leads to, is life. And it is a pathway. And and because you've gone a long way in the wrong direction, it's going to take a long trip to get back. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and you didn't walk out of the kingdom of God in a day. You did it over a long period of time, and now it takes a little while to get back to your father's house. And in that process, there are many pitfalls and dangers and this is, we talked in the last show, which is a part of this series now, about the valley of the shadow of death. That it's full of rocks and predators and, and cliffs and falls and things where a sheep can get hurt. And a shepherd knows that it moves from one pasture to the other, but it's a dangerous area to go through. Yea, though I walk the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil, because the Lord is my shepherd. It doesn't mean there's no dangers there. We have to be very careful and listen to the shepherd. Listen to his ways. And his ways are very simple. But yet, the complexity, in other words, very narrow. 
But the complexities of the valley of the shadow of death, there's lots of pitfalls. There's a cliff over here. There's rocks over here. There's snakes over here. There's there, there's wild dogs over here. And there's a lot of dangers out there. And so you have to listen to the shepherd. He says, "You don't go that way. Go this way. This is safer. And so this is what Christ came to tell us is the safer way, the righteous way. And that's what we're supposed to be seeking, the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God. In other words, self-determination with God as our guiding spirit. Or self-determination. I mean, Cain was for self-determination, but without God, out of the presence of God. Lamech, Nimrod, they're all for self-determination, except for those they want to serve them. They don't come to serve they come to be served. And you see, this is how they create the beast systems of the world. As they get all the people who want others to serve them, wait on them, provide for them, together. And of course, they bind them together in neat rows, in filing systems. And they belong to God. And people see, oh my gosh, this system of control is wicked. So they throw out the idea of having a system. Like the the last series we did on churchism. The guy wants to throw out anything that looks organized. Because he thinks the problem is systems. The problem is systems that are not based on the DNA, the, the character of Christ. The spirit of Christ. That's the problem. Because Christ was according to the spirit of his Father. And we need to move according to the spirit of that Father so that that Father is our Father and Christ is our brother. And then we have self-determination with God. Auto excusia. The right to liberty. The kingdom of God. Do we have the right to the kingdom of God? Are we seeking the kingdom of God? We are if we are seeking his righteousness. How are we casting our bread on the waters to build a voluntary society known as the kingdom of God? So that our daily bread does not come from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, but come from God through those who love us as themselves. This is the message of the gospel. Modern Christians don't do that. They go to those benefactors who exercise authority and they pray for their daily bread, their welfare, their food stamps, their health care. And now Nimrod is saying, if you don't get our system, if you don't become registered in our system if you don't seek to be subject to our system we're going to cast you out of the universe they're going to do away with you they're going to beat you they're going to punish you and they're going to think they're doing good and this is what I see I see the spirit of evil milling about by the millions in the hearts and minds of people in every country And we want to do battle with that? 
we need to put on the full armor of God. So we talk about forming free churches, the free church, there's only really one church, through forming free congregations, free assemblies. A congregation is an assembly of people, not an association, not an incorporation. It's just people saying, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Who's my neighbor? Somebody asked me that. Who's my neighbor? Well, it would be the people that you assemble with. And so we have a thing we call a congregation of record. It's a, by your testimony, you say, I'm going to assemble with these people. And we're going to pick a minister. And this is our minister. What is his job? How does he minister to you? Does he plow your heart? Does he regulate your thoughts? Or does he come to serve? Does he tell you stories? Or does he exercise authority over you? Does he point to the Father? Does he point to the tree of life? Does he point to the way of God? But allows you to make that choice? Or is he tempted to plow your heart? And that's what a deacon, a minister of ten, should be. Someone who allows you the right to choose. But you still have to choose him as your deacon so that you can say, these nine families are going to be my responsibility in my heart, in my mind, that I'm going to love them first. But because I must love my neighbor as myself, then that group, that free assembly, should love other free assemblies as much as it loves itself. With Equal love for the other assemblies as you have for your own. How do you do that? You do it through a network of charity. The body is a network of blood veins and nervous systems of communication. Where I touch something with my finger and my head knows it. Where I feel pain and I attend to it. How can you do that if you're not connected in a network as a people? You are the blood veins. You are the nervous system. And this is what your ministers are. They're just the blood veins and nervous system of a body. Connecting the cells. You know, every every cell in your body has a life of its own. It has an identity of its own. It has a DNA of its own. You know, cancer is when one of those cells develops a different DNA. Autoimmune diseases, which we mentioned in the last show, are when your body doesn't recognize the cells in your body. And your own immune system begins to attack you. These these diseases are rampant today. Because your DNA is mixed up because you're mixing your spiritual DNA with the spiritual DNA of both God and the adversaries of God. And it creates confusion. You're stepping off the path or the way of God. You think that way is some sort of intellectual choice. It is not. Anyway, we're, we're going to look at a number of things here to help get you back on that path. And I mentioned in, in the last show these, uh, these things that we, we call vices. 
and I was looking for my list here. I had it here just a second ago. But anyway, uh, we have a list also of virtues, of patience and love and charity and, and, uh, you know, actually if you look up virtues and vices in like the Wikipedia, you'll see that they've got different labels on many of the virtues and vices. And you would think that they would have come to some kind of an agreement that, you know, they've got temperance and, and patience and, and these things seem to almost overlap because there are so many definitions to words, which is another thing we study here all the time. But the reality is, it is that difference between virtue and, the real difference between virtue and vice is that vice is the absence of the virtue. It's what takes place when the virtue is not there. So the focus is not on getting rid of your vices. That's kind of an egotistical approach to it. I'm going to get rid of my vices. But what I am going to do is start to love virtue. Love, love the path. Love the way. If you focus on the vices, you're actually focusing on the problem. But it doesn't mean that you don't recognize that you have vices. That you lose your patience. And this is one of the things that we mentioned also in the last show. Uh, the, 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 and that we had a talk with the, our local shepherdess. Um, who's learning the ways of a shepherd. And uh, contending with sheep which can try your patience. Any livestock can try your patience. Uh, goats are the best, I think. But uh, sheep certainly can try your patience. They, they do it in a little bit less overt way. Uh, goats will drive you insane. I always remember a guy who was uh, the softest spoken guy, always talks peace and love and sweetness and everything. And I knew he raised goats and everything, and I didn't see him for a long time. And then I saw him, and I said... So how are your goats doing? He says, oh, we don't have goats anymore. I says, oh, what you, what happened to them? And he says, well, I came home one day and they were all up on the haystack again. They broke into the fence and got up on the haystack. And so, so I said, so what would you do? I was thinking he sold them. So I shot them. <laughs> that, that I kind of, oh, really? <laughs> That he just shot all his goats. He just shot them. Uh, I guess off the haystack, although I can't imagine they were still on the haystack after the first shot or two, but, uh, uh, his soft spokenness was a facade. It was something that was put on, you know, on the surface. He, he now, last I heard he was teaching people how to get in touch with their spiritual selves. <laughs> so, I, I, I I shudder to think what what spirit we're dealing with there. But I can tell you this: I, I've actually picked a goat up once and threw him over a fence after he stripped my low die apple tree. But I was young and impatient, and probably a little stronger than I am now. But uh, the uh, the fact is, animals can try your patience. But what they're really doing is drawing out of you the impatience that already resides in you. They are bringing to light the festering wounds of impatience. And we all have them. Since we were little children, we were traumatized by people who abused us and exercised authority and, and humiliated us and, 
and did all kinds of things to us, although some of us obviously more than others, it doesn't really matter. It's it, The mark is there. The mark of injustice, the mark of unrighteousness is there. And it's there because we failed to forgive those who were unjust to us. All we have, forgiveness works. If we forgive those that were unjust to us, that lied to us, that deceived us. People think, you know, they deceived us about all this fraudulent contract stuff. And they brought us into bondage. And they got us to sign up and now we're slaves and human resources and surety for debt. Those wicked, wicked people and we're angry. The first thing that people a lot of times when they realize that the whole world has gone back into the bondage of Egypt, the first thing they want to do is get angry. You cannot be angry without judging. Anger is not a product of love. Anger is right down the path of Cain. Didn't he get angry? Didn't he get mad? Do you believe there's a God? Do you believe that God can be in power if you give him the reins of control of your life and the power around you? Like a flow of a, a, a covering of power. If you believe that, why are you angry? Leave anger to him. He's better at it. You cannot be angry unless you're judging your neighbor. This is the judgment that Christ is talking about. The angry judgment. It's not the fact that you notice, you know, they deceive me. Oh my gosh. That's terrible for them. They are deceivers. Don't they realize that that will lead to destruction? Is that your reaction? Or is it those lousy deceivers <laughs> who cheated me and fooled me? What's your reaction? One is of the DNA of God. <laughs> the other one is not. One is of the DNA of Cain. That's not the path you want to go down. That is the path you've been down. Now we're going to turn around and go back the other way. That requires that turning around requires forgiveness. Because if you don't forgive, you will be connected like a dog to his mate. And you will not be able to get away. You'll hear lots of yelping. But he will drag you down the path of Cain. You have to forgive to let go of those that are dragging you in that way. You know, if you if you go into a bar you, and you order milk, I always remember Bob Hope went into a bar and ordered a glass of milk and everybody, all the mean guys in the movie looked over at Bob Hope, you know, because he just ordered milk in a bar full of whiskey drinkers. And he quickly looked around and saw that he was kind of a dead giveaway, that he wasn't a tough guy. And he says, in a dirty glass. And that was sufficient. <laughs> so, little Bob Hope humor there. The reality is, if you go in a bar, they want you to drink. They want you to be like them. I've gone into bars to fix plumbing and electrical problems in, in years past. And guys who knew who I was, they wanted me to, they wanted to buy me a drink. And I said, no, no, I'm on duty. Don't want to mix electricity and alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) But they want you to drink with them. Well, they want 
they're drunk on power. People want you to exercise power. I've told the story before about Billy Budd. Great, great story, Billy Budd. Where Claggett wants Billy Budd to be angry. Like Claggett is angry. He wants to, and so he unjustly lies and accuses Billy of mutiny. And, and he stutters and he can't, he has to argue against this somehow. He has to make this right and he does an act of anger. He, he strikes Claggett and kills him. But Claggett dies with a smile on his face because he got him to be angry. He got him to judge. Don't fall prey to that. Forgive the world. Forgive the evil. Love the evil. Not love being evil. Love those that are evil. Love thy enemy. Let God punish him. Let God clarify to him. Do not follow the path of Cain that plows the hearts of the people. Realize that the way the beast gets power is to draw you into its ways. God already has power. He doesn't want you because he needs your power. He wants his power to flow through you because he's the giver of life. And his power will give you life. But his power will not have the nature of exercising authority over others. And that nature has been scarred into us that we, like ruts in a row, when things happen, we fall into that rut and it starts pulling the wheels of our life over into the ways of Cain. Humility, patience, will get us out of those ruts. Will let us rise above those paths that lead to destruction. That will take us over the cliff. Follow the guide of the shepherd. So anyway, I'm, I've been writing an article on uh, Christianity. And uh, I haven't looked at it in a long time. I pulled it up just before the show began. And actually it was entitled False Christians at one time. But anyway, I, I started off I have uh, that I've been seeing these different articles like blind guides from uh, Dove and Meyer and uh, state-owned churches are, are killing America by Chuck Baldwin. And Today's Christianity by Paul Proctor and there's a number of others. And, and they are touching on some of the evidence of the problem. But they're not really seeing the, the source of the problem. It's like, uh, you know, the DNA of a child is not visible at first. It, but we will see the evidence of that child. But we have to go back to the source that has taken us, you know, if you take a wrong turn and start going off the path, usually the best way to get back on the path is to go back the way you came. And really, in essence, that's what you have to do because it is not just one wrong turn. It's many wrong turns. You know, Cain, Adam and Eve did a wrong turn when they decided to decide for themselves what was good and evil. Then Cain took another wrong turn when he decided to bludgeon his neighbor. Uh, we can actually go back to Cain. Uh, uh, Adam and Eve took this wrong turn when they decided to decide for themselves. They took another wrong turn when they decided to hide 
from the truth of that. They took another wrong turn when they fled the light of God. And and Cain went also out. Of, see, they went out of the presence of the garden. Cain went out of the presence of the garden and out of the presence of God altogether. You see, there's there's many wrong turns and we get lost way off away from the ways of the kingdom. So to get back, we have to First, we have to stop trying to exercise authority over our neighbors, like Cain. Then we have to see the light and the truth of our own error and failings. And then we have to start eating of the tree of life, acting upon the righteous ways of God. And that's where Christ was leading us. And if we are Christians, we're going that way. But I see lots of people who say they are Christians, go to churches. But it's it's all about self-justification, self-determination. I picked this church. I picked that religion. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Jehovah Witness. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Catholic. And that's all superfluous. It's, it's all about being impotent. In the ways of Christ. Because they're not actually going the ways of Christ. The Pharisees thought they were fulfilling the purposes of God according to Moses. And Christians today think they're fulfilling the purposes of Christ, of God according to Christ. But the reality is, the modern Christian has more in common with the Pharisees than he does with the early Christians. And most people who profess to be Christians haven't got a clue what the early Christians were doing. They don't understand how they were organized together to provide the daily bread according to the Spirit of God dwelling in their own hearts. Damnable heresies have come into the church and say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agencies of government, through the Corbin that is identical to that of the Pharisees which made the word of God did not affect, because it was based on forcing our neighbors to compel and give to us our needs. And I don't know how simple it is. And I hear it all the time. And I, as soon as we get on this, I see people, you know, dodging away, you know, in conversations on the street or at other people's houses, you know, where I point out that Social Security is the Corbin of the Pharisees. It's identical. It was a system by which you take care of the needy of your society. But you've given the right to choose, the determination to choose as to what you will give and how much you give and who you will give it to, to somebody else. You've given that power to somebody else. That excusia, the right to choose to somebody else. And you've done this because you, you said, I want to join your club, your religion your way of taking care of the needy and I want you to force my neighbor to take care of me if I have a need. That's that's coveting your neighbor's good. That that's jealousy and envy. That has nothing to do with Christ. And if Christ was living in you, you would have nothing to do with that. But you do have something to do with it. And your eyes are blinded and there's scales on them and I'm trying to lift them up to let the light in. We're going to let more light in when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom.
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about the right path and the wrong path. And we know the Pharisees went the wrong path. They strayed from the path of Moses. We know that Moses and Christ were in agreement. They must have been talking about the same path. And in truth, Abraham, as well as many of the other prophets, were talking about this path of taking care of yourselves through faith, hope, and charity, through love for one another. Not taking care of yourselves through the force of Cain and Nimrod and Pharaohs and Caesars. And the Pharisees began to think that it was a good idea to take care of themselves through the force and power of government. Through men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. And Christ said you were not to be that way. And he said he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees. And give it to another who bore fruit, and you will not bear fruit in your society. Not the fruit of God. Unless you live by faith, hope, and charity. And modern Christians do not. They live by force. The ways of the Pharisees turned Israel away from God. Of course, they had already rejected God in their hearts and in their minds. And we see the evidence of that when they physically rejected God by electing to have Saul as a ruler who could exercise authority one over the other. That was a rejection of God. And it would lead to, you know, all the things that it has led to for them and for us today. And they, they were still claiming to be the children of God. But according to Jesus, you don't even know the Father. Because the Father is not in you. You're, you're following the adversary. The way that was contrary to God. John the Baptist. Until John the Baptist, the kingdom of the world was established by force. Because the word he uses there actually means world. The kingdoms of the world were established by force. Like Cain. Like Lamech. Like Nimrod. They forced the people to come together, to march in a straight line, to give according to the will, not auto-excusia, but according to the excusia of those governments of the world. John the Baptist said, if you have extra and your neighbor has need, fill it with love for one another. He was preaching the straight way. Christ Preached it too. Keep the commandments. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods. Stop stealing. Stop taking. Stop abusing your neighbors. Learn to live by faith. This is what Christ was saying. But people say, we believe in Jesus, we just don't want to do what he says. But he says, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. This is the whole message of Christ. If you take out what is inconvenient, you're not doing what Christ said. Not not in the slightest. You know, civil law, Roman law, Roman civil law are convertible phrases meaning the same systems of jurisprudence. Black's Law Dictionary, 3rd edition, page 332. We can also find in Black's Law Dictionary as well as in uh, Maxims of Law. You know, much of uh, Black's Law Dictionary, if you want to look something up, you have to know the Latin. So if you were to look up the word libertinum, it's like liberty with an I 
N-U-M. You would come across a phrase, Ingratum legis civilis. Civil law reduces the unwilling freed man to his original slavery. But the laws of the Anglos judge once manumitted as ever after free. You're dealing with civil law today. Not the law of the Anglos. That isn't the law that you depend upon. You've gone over to the other through your systems of application and participation. Through your benefits. The greatest destroyers of of freedom are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Hypocrites who outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of iniquities. The Bible talks about them. They talk about a church with a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof, the potestas thereof, the the governmental power of the church. The church is defined in Black's Law Dictionary as one form of government. It's not the form of government that we are now seeing Christians following. Christ says you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles, yet the modern Christian is exactly like the governments of the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, they are of the governments of the Gentiles. And they give Caesar more and more power over them, more and more excusia, more and more right to choose for them every time they apply for those benefits and make covenants with them. They don't realize that the temples that the Christians would not go and worship at were government buildings. I write in this article, some temples even stored official documents and contracts including birth certificates. Temple of Saturn. In the Temple of Saturn, on the eastern slope of the Capitoline Hill, there was a common treasury supported by a general tax and special reserve funds and what they called the Erarium Sanctum originally consisted of the spoils of war but maintained chiefly by a 5% tax on slaves who were fired or discharged slaves that's employees the slavery in Egypt they appointed taskmasters over them. Every everybody in America works for a taskmaster, a federal task taskmaster, has a federal employer ID number. He has a federal employer employee ID number, and everything he earns is taxed. And some of that tax is his unemployment tax to help care for those that are discharged by this taskmaster whether he also works for a corporation of the state called McDonald's or or Rocketdyne or or whatever Enron they're all employees of the federal government and have a federal employee identification number because they're all in this corporate entity and they go to Capitol Hill Capitolina Hill for their benefits, which they get from their temples. This is what was going on in Rome, Temple of Saturn. Uh, the Aurarium was the name of a public treasury. Yeah, that's right. This 
this place where you get the money coming out of the temples where you were registered and your births were registered so that you could get your benefits. And it included the operation of public finances, elected uh, questors, had oversight of these funds. They had no imperium. And I'll explain what that is. Imperium. Imperium used to rest in all the families. But the imperium of Rome rested in the emperor. He had that authority. And we'll have to go into that at another time. In the, in the Republic, they were elected by the people. But in the empire, they became appointed positions from the top down. This is the same way it was in Judea. Or in Israel originally. You elected the people that were to receive the funds that were to take care of the needy of your society. And that was called your minister, your Levite minister. And if he didn't do a good job, you could fire him and stop giving to him and give to somebody else. But it was an ongoing circulation of funds. Most of the funds were in your pocket, in the pocket of every other individual of the country. And when there was a need... It went through these ministers to make sure that nobody was overlooked in what they call pure religion. This is what the early church was doing. This is also what the world was doing. It had ministers. But they exercised authority one over the other. If you didn't give, they forced you. You didn't elect them. They were appointed over you. This is the way it is in the world today. The same way it was in the world at the time of Christ. But it was not that way with Christians. Because they were not of that world. They had their own system. And we can show in article after article and in the books that this is why Christians were persecuted. is because their religion was private. Jews privatum, which I talked about in the previous series. As opposed to Jews publican. Yeah, I actually just talked about it in a a two-part series on Paul. Was Paul a Roman citizen? I mean, there's so much you don't know. So much I would want to share with you. And there's so little time to do it in. We need to turn around and look at things different. This word imperium, it's, it's the power status. It says the imperium could be used as a term indicating the characteristic of the people, the wealth held in items, and the measure of formal power they had or could exercise. In the world today, you are expected to lay your right to choose over yourselves on the altars, the civil altars of mankind. In God's kingdom, You retain your right to choose, your excusia, your liberty. But you still have to give on an altar. And that's a living altar. That's why they talk about living stones in the New Testament. And they were actually living stones in the Old Testament as well. But you you give to that individual and you watch that individual and make sure that individual gives to others in righteousness. In other words, if this person is the deserving poor, you want to see them helped out so that they become strong. You strengthen that poor. If they are the undeserving poor, that they are the slothful, then they should go to the civil altars of Rome. 
and they will. And they are there now. Problem is, the altars of God have fallen into the ways of Rome, which is the church of God is not doing what the early church did, which was to take care of the social welfare of all other Christians through faith, hope, and charity alone. A narrow path, a straight way, a way that is cast up, a way that makes the word of God to effect. But the way you're doing it, or most Christians are doing it, is the way of Corbin, of the Pharisees, that makes the word of God to no effect. Because you go to the temple of Saturn. You call it a government building, but that's what Saturn was. And you say to men who exercise authority, I need my benefits now. I paid in, I helped out the needy when I was working, now I'm not working anymore. The problem is, and we see this all over the place, is that people, in this huge wave of people on unemployment, I can't tell you how many people I've seen that have been on unemployment and stayed on unemployment when they could have got jobs because it was easier. They're slothful. In the kingdom, you'll say, look, you could get a job. You could work here. You could work there. You could do this. You could do something. If you do not work, you should not eat. Thessalonians. That is the, that is the way of righteousness. That's what will strengthen the poor. That is pure religion. But you have given the power of religion to the state. People worry about incorporated churches. Worry about the spirit that is living in those churches that allows people to incorporate themselves and their children and bring them into bondage and in debt forever and ever and ever. Before Israel could come out of bondage, it had to continue to pay its tally of bricks, but it got its benefits through faith, hope, and charity. It no longer got the benefits. It still had to pay. And we've written articles, not so secure socialism, that show you that that's the way the law is written. They don't have to give you any benefits and you still have to pay in. And it should be that way because you've been slothful. You have to turn around and start going the other way. You don't have enough strength or power or time left in your life to make things right. You certainly don't have the power to make other people right. And as soon as you start doing that, you're going the ways of Cain. All you can do is bear witness that you are going to help one another. And there are people amongst you that need help and sometimes they're too proud to ask. But that prayer is an act of humility. Prayer before others saying, I'm in trouble. I need help. And we can't make it and do all the things that we do. I mean, we could get by but I can't do all the things that we do and make radio programs and, and write books and stuff like that unless people help us. I admit it. I, I don't have the power to do the things that I used to do. I was up till 2 last night. I wasn't working all that time, but the reality, I was dozy <laughs> by the time I finally went to bed. But uh, that's when I wrote most of the books, Covenants of the Gods. 
you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning and I'm still up at five and six o'clock to do work. I, I would sleep four or five hours a night. I can't maintain that pace anymore. We need your help. But you need to help others more important in your local areas. And the fact is, those that are hearing the kingdom, they're far apart. The first thing you do when you gather together in a congregation of record, and you say, I'm going to try to watch your back if, in hopes that you will watch my back. Not because I'm going to watch your back because I'm to love my enemy and my neighbor, and I'm supposed to be living by love and by giving up my life so that I will have life more abundant granted to me by this spiritual realm of God that actually is in control. And I believe that. And I'm going to go that way because that's what, the way that Christ talked about. And I I want to believe that way. And I want God to teach me more about that way. And so I'm going to seek the righteousness of God. And I'm going to seek it with you guys in a congregation of record. In a network of record. In a kingdom concept of righteousness. That's what you have to do. Now, those people will be spread out. So the first thing you want to do is find other people. I want to build, okay, you're in Poughkeepsie and you're in Toronto and you're in wherever. I want to find people for you to gather together within your local area so that you can become a true congregation of record an intimate brotherhood. But I don't want to lose you to some local congregation. I want you to be a part of a whole network, one body, one church, seeking to be ruled by God and His righteousness in a righteous way, remaining friends with the unrighteous mammon if I cannot be free, while I provide the benefits of society without praying to the benefactors who exercise authority. That's a hard job. That's a full-time job. That's a job that's going to require sacrifice. That is pure religion. That is what you must do if you want to be free. Not fill out papers and file them with the Commerce Department. That's not going to set you free. You have to change your way. You have to let God's DNA alter you into the way and the program of Christ. It's not a head trip. It's a heart trip. And the head will follow as God writes his laws upon your heart and upon your mind. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is, is to seek the Corbin of Christ, the ways of Christ, the faith of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. We have to turn around and go another way. We have to develop the imperium of righteousness the right to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. We have to follow those ways of righteousness. And there's so many things, so many layers of deception that have come down in the churches, in our public schools, and even in the private schools. I mean, we have been going the wrong way for a thousand years. And the layer upon layer of confusion and deception makes almost anything I say iconoclastic. But it really comes down, even though you're a complex individual and you can, you can want to do what's right, but there's a part of you 
part of your genetic memory or part of the scars in your own heart that keep dragging the wheels over into unrighteousness and you have to keep seeing that and coming back so that those scars will heal and you can be a child of God again you need to seek that kingdom by constantly realizing how far away from the kingdom you've you've gone and it's going to require your willingness to be sacrificed like Christ not in some dramatic event but daily sacrifice where you share with others you give to others that have true needs that you begin to pay not only Caesar but also into Christ's kingdom investing in Christ's kingdom remaining friends with the unrighteous mammon but the the fact is, is and we can get into that detail and we do in the Free Church Report, at least if you read the footnotes. And all of that is available also free online. But the way of Christ, the gospel of Christ, what Paul was talking about and who he was talking to were going this way. Of taking care of one another. Of providing for one another. Of being the government of God in righteousness. Sacrificing themselves so that they can have life more abundant but by casting their bread upon the waters, by freely giving to the needy of their society, and occasionally to people even the stranger in their midst. But they formed a society. When you pick a minister, we ask that you give something to them to show an actual moment in time that you recognize this person as a minister of Christ. Now, you have to continue to watch them so that he proves himself This is what it says in Timothy. He has to prove himself. But how can he prove himself unless... I mean, is he going to hit the mark? It's like taking somebody to the target range and not giving them any ammunition. He just points the gun and he says, Yeah, Sarge, I hit the bullseye. How do we know? Unless you give him ammunition to shoot at the target. And, And it won't be enough, but it'll be a start. And he will begin to practice he will have to ask God every time he spends the money of Christ for the good of those that seek the kingdom. And they become part of this circulatory system of the body of Christ. Doing what the early church did, not just not incorporating. That's not going to get you anywhere. You have to become the social welfare, the Corbin of Christ, the pure religion of James. You have to be that. If you do that, a spiritual power will flow through and around you that will make you something separate from the world. It will make you holy. You will not make you holy by your conscious decisions. You will be made holy by the fact that you are not just sayers, Lord, Lord, but doers of the will. It will change you. It will change your spiritual DNA. And eventually, it will change your physical DNA. But you cannot change your spiritual DNA by your forms and rituals. You have to allow yourself to be changed by connecting to the sacrifice of Christ. They talk about we are, we are sacrificed 
in Christ, not unless you are walking in Christ's ways of sacrifice for one another and love for one another. That's where you have to go. And you do this by your choice in spirit and in truth. Till we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.